So the reading today, folks, on which the message is based is Acts in chapter 2. Okay, so Acts chapter 2, beginning of verse 25. And we're in the middle of a, a, a speech, an evangelistic message by Peter on the day of Pentecost. Verse 25. For David says concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand that I should not be shaken. Therefore, my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also will dwell in hope, for you will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried and his tomb is with us to this day. Being therefore a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses. Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this, that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself said, The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand, until I make your enemies your footstool. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Amen. Who is uh, Jesus Christ? Who is Jesus Christ? Uh, people who are maybe distant from him might think he's just another man. Perhaps the authorities thought he was just another Jew, maybe a trouble causer. Those who had been more close to him would perhaps see him as a, a genuine teacher and healer sent from God. And those who knew him intimately and who'd had their hearts uh, inclined towards God realised that he was much more than this. The claims of Peter, the other apostles and generations who come since have confessed that he is more than a rabbi. He is in fact Lord and Christ. Jesus is the Lord of heaven and the promised Messiah. A few weeks ago we were here looking at Peter's sermon and uh, we interrupted that for through illness and we, we, we of course we diverted to uh, a couple of uh, sermons on different topics and so we rejoin uh, his speech now and so we're, we're halfway through. So just to recap what's happened, the apostles I've seen Jesus ascend to heaven. 
He instructed them to, to wait around in Jerusalem for the promise of the Holy Spirit. They waited. They were in a house. There was a rumbling sound. They knew something was about to go down. And sure enough, there was a mighty move of the Holy Spirit, whereby God conferred on these people the ability to speak foreign languages that they had not learned. Many people began to uh, accuse the, these disciples of being drunk, uh, and uh, Peter stands up and says they're not drunk. This outpouring of the Spirit is what was prophesied by Joel hundreds and hundreds of years previously. Joel said God would pour out his Spirit on all flesh. So there'd been this uh, argument made by Peter that this was something special. This was a turning point. Pentecost was a milestone in the work of God as he unveiled the fullness of the gospel and the kingdom of God. It was happening. This was the real kingdom of God being revealed slowly. So we pick up uh, where we left Peter la last time. And uh, he, Peter is to make some more points to add to his case. Peter wants to build this case and it's heading towards a very grand conclusion. Peter's conclusion will be that this Jesus of Nazareth, yes, little old scruffy Nazareth, Jesus of Nazareth was in fact Lord and Christ. And he's going to take this idea and present it to the Jews and hope that the Lord will use those words, use his case, his arguments, in fact, to bring some of them to repentance. And that's exactly what God did. So Peter previously spoke about the outpouring of the Spirit, the mighty works of Jesus, the wonders he performed, and all the miraculous signs that accompanied his mission. And now he is about to add two more substantial arguments. These are both based around the issue of resurrection, the resurrection of Jesus. And the two arguments are this. The first one is to do with something as crude as decay bodily decomposition. The first argument Peter makes is about the decay, the de de decomposition of a human body. All will become clear shortly. And then the second issue, the second, uh, uh, the second point he makes in his argument is about the matter of going to heaven. Going to heaven. And Peter uses two Psalms. So what is this first point he makes? Well, it's based on Psalm 16. And now if you want to see where this quotation is from, you can turn, if you want, to have a look at it in its original context. And it's Psalm 16, particularly verse 10. Now, the Hebrews, for them, the, how they described death or the state of death it was pictured as a place, a sort of waiting room of people called Sheol. 
And uh, in our New Testament reading, it was uh, they used the Greek equivalent of that, which was Hades. It's just the, the, the state of being dead. And in the, so in the Psalm 16 and verse 10, for you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. Corruption, decay, decomposition. David, David is speaking about a person, a person who would not suffer the natural processes that be associated with life. Now, when a person dies, as you know, the period of the process of uh, degradation, if you like, begins immediately. The body starts to break down immediately. And that process continues. And it continues according to the laws of... the laws of, of nature, of God, of physics, which is a deterioration. Uh, a breaking down into disorderly parts. Now, David then is, is prophesying about someone who would be special and that would not occur, that would not happen to them. And so it's either someone who, who would just be dead for a fraction of a second or someone who is in the grave for a short time. But they wouldn't remain there. And so you could go to you could go to their tomb and you would not find them. And so if anyone thought, well, how do we know this is not about David himself, this prophecy? Peter wants to make this powerful argument, very simple argument really. He says it can't be about David, because David is dead. David is dead. Peter is confident that David is dead. So, it can't be about him. It's about someone else. And so Peter moves on to make some other points. And then he brings in another psalm. He brings in Psalm 110. And in Psalm 110... And the very first verse in Psalm 110, which will benefit from being broken down a bit in a second, but it says, The Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Okay, so there's three people in that scene. There is David, then there is the Lord. In this particular Bible, the word Lord, the first one's capitalised, and so that helps us to understand that uh, the word behind it is the name of God. Jehovah, Yahweh, however you'd like to pronounce it, it was the name of God. So I'll, I'll, I'll call him Jehovah for now. So we have David, we have the Lord God, Jehovah. And the Lord God is addressing David, Lord, this third person, and says, you... Come and sit with me, alongside me. Sit with me in my throne until we defeat uh, our enemies and I make them into just something to rest your feet on. So, there's three parties here. 
The one who was going to be at God's right hand, who was going to heaven, was going to be this special individual. Again, Peter, uh, Peter heads off this question, well, why is it not David's? Why can it, can it not be in some way to do with David? And Peter's argument is found in verse 34. It's phrased differently in different, uh, different Bibles. Here it says, for David did not ascend into the heavens. The word ascend, there's nothing special about it. It's used for people climbing stairs to, to the upstairs room. It means go up. At all. David did not go to heavens or heaven. Right? In other words, this is not about him. This is Peter's point. David did go in the ground, die, and suffer corruption. David didn't, according to Peter, go to heaven. So how does Peter tie all this together? How does he, how does he bring it all together? How does he resolve this, this riddle? When we look at Old Testament uh, scriptures and we say we identify them as prophetic of Jesus, okay? That does not mean that the verse in the original place it was it doesn't have some immediate some immediate application. So someone in the Old Testament might be making a prophecy about a king, the king down the road, a king alive at the time. But it could also be a prophetic portion of scripture to do with Christ as well. And we say that the, the interpretation that is, points to Christ is the chief one. That is the, the bigger one, of course. And so we don't have to... Uh, worry too much about whether there's an application to David here as some have suggested. The point is the primary reference in both these Psalms is Jesus Christ. That's it. And Peter says that David was acting in his role as a prophet. David was speaking prophetically. David knew. David knew someone, one of his descendants would take up his throne. He had all these promises. He understood that. And so Peter says, David here is speaking as a prophet. Not just any old prophecy, but a prophecy about the future. Future hundreds and hundreds of years to come. And the power in Peter's argument is that the only person to match this description, the only person to escape death and ascend to heaven, is Jesus Christ. He's the only one. He is unique. And that's what allows David to make this argument. Only he is being resurrected properly and fully glorified. Now, those verses, Peter's argument, cause many people great difficulty because it conflicts with their understanding of you know end times issues and the issue of life after death 
The plain sense of this scripture is, as I believe, is how I've described it. Peter is making the point that there's only one person fits this description, and it is Christ. And so we don't have time to look at the many ways people have tried to avoid the plain sense of this, but later on when we have a chat, then we can talk about them if you want. But uh, theologians are sort of emotionally committed to the idea that David is in heaven. They are so committed to that that they have come up with the most extraordinary explanations uh, to, to get around the plain sense of this, this scripture. And so, like I say, we can't, we can't address those today. But I will say this, that if you try to construct an argument that says that David is in heaven and those who came after him, you undermine Peter's argument. You undermine the strength of his case. The Apostle Paul weighs in later in chapter 13 and says, David died and decomposed. That's where David is. That's where he is. And so you, you might try to come up with a, some, um, some uh, solution whereby David is both dead and he's alive and kicking somewhere else. You can say that if you want, but you need to remember two things. You need to remember that that concept of David being in two places is not in scripture, and secondly, that it completely undermines the power of Peter's argument. It undermines it. So, Peter's making this case and then he moves on from that to the work of the Holy Spirit. So in verse, back in verse 16, which we covered, that's the beginning of his introduction to Joel's prophecy. God's going to pour out his spirit and so on. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And he also repeats it in verse 33. Jesus now, Jesus now as Lord and Christ is exalted and he alone is in that position where he is able to oversee, overrule, he is able to superintend this world, he is able to dispense the Holy Spirit. And it's exactly what Peter says he did. Jesus has now begun this work in his exalted state. So the conclusion, the conclusion Peter has, has, has brought here is that Jesus is Lord and Christ. Jesus is the Lord of heaven and he is the Christ, the one, the prophesied one who was to come to save the worldwide congregation of Israel. It was the resurrection the resurrection that made this all, uh, that vindicated Christ. The resurrection confirmed his credentials as, uh, as Messiah and as the Holy One prophesied by David. 
Just, a, just outside of our reading, a few, a few verses later in verse 39, it uses the word... It uses the word Lord in this sense. Everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. The Lord our God. The word used for the Lord our God there is the same word Lord used for Jesus earlier. It's not proof, but it's powerful evidence of the deity of Jesus Christ. The same word is used for both. And it's powerful evidence that Jesus is divine. And uh, this is uh, this really is the way we should be thinking when the disciples call him Lord. We should understand they're not just saying Master now. They, they realise that he is the Lord of heaven. The Lord our God manifest in the flesh. Now their thinking may have been hazy in many areas. It definitely was, but certainly... Uh, they believed that he was the Lord of heaven. And so now Jesus is on his throne today. He is on this throne and it says in uh, Luke there, the beginning of uh, Luke, the very first chapter, in fact, of Luke and verse 32 And we've got this angel, presumably one of the chief angels, called Gabriel. He addresses this young lady, Mary. And verse 32, he's speaking to her and he says, He will be great. This kid is going to grow up. He's going to be great. He's going to be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. Christ was the one, Jesus was the one, who would inherit the throne of his father David, his ancestor David. Jesus is the one who inherited it. And friends, it is my strong belief that not only was this throne not a literal throne on this earth, but it's my belief that it will never be an earthly seat in Jerusalem or anywhere else. The eternal throne of God, of the, the eternal throne of David, I should say, is now eternal in the heavens. And from there, Jesus looks and he reigns from this new throne. He has this role now at the right hand of God he has this role he mediates the Holy Spirit he if you like invites the Holy Spirit to go down and perform his works in gathering God's elect people of building up the brethren of strengthening us and so on Jesus on his throne he, he proclaims the gospel about himself through us. He gives us opportunities and light and enables us to extend the kingdom by sharing this message of the gospel and telling people it's all about him. And he also on his throne, he also observes, he observes this world and the behaviour of men and women. 
in preparation for the judgment because it is said that the place of judgment is to be called the judgment seat of Christ. Jesus Christ, the judge, and he will have all men and women who ever lived uh, presented before him and he will dispense perfect justice. So friends, for, for those reasons and for many others, we can say confidently that Jesus is Lord and Christ. That's who he is. And our hope is that one day we can look forward to this day when his enemies are trodden down, all the enemies of God are beaten down, and the warfare has ended. And crucially, our hope is the hope of the Apostle Paul. He said, if by any means possible, I might attain the resurrection. That's what he wanted. And that is our hope, that we will not be forgotten. Death is not the end for the Lord's people. God will not forget us. God will make us alive on that last day, on the appointed day, and we will then be with him where he is in that glorious paradise that he has created for us.